always want to ask. But on that note, I want to welcome everybody to the world according to that man, Benjamin Jeremy Stein. I want to thank everybody that's been downloading the podcast. Kudos and thank you. And thank you for the great comments. I will take our comments over anybody's comments any day of the week. They are fantastic. They are fabulous. Um, Of course, we're joined tonight by Rob Kendall from 93.1, the president of Conservative Talk Radio. And of course, former shoe salesman, former person that worked for the FTC, lawyer for the FTC, um, actor, writer, provocateur, saint, sinner, lover, husband, father, grandfather, statistician, mathematician, but of course, most importantly, Dr. Benjamin Jeremy Stein. How are you, sir? I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. My stomach's a little upset from eating too much ice cream, but otherwise it's fine. I've decided that although I love ice cream like crazy, it doesn't always love me. A lot I of do. things you love don't always love you back. That's what the, that is for sure. That is that, that is, is the lesson. Sure. That is but before we get to you, uh, Rob, for those that don't know, his hair is looking great. Decided to get. I, uh, I would like to know what was wrong with his hair in the first place. It looked great to me from day one. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't that it wasn't great. It just wasn't perfect. And Ben, if you can uh, get hair for free, you take advantage of it. Okay, so so that's my question. So you got this. Um, from your radio station, you got a free, a free plug. No pun <laughs> You got free plugs from the radio station. Were you at all nervous about this? About this? I only because I'd never been under anesthesia before, and they do anesthesia with it because they they knock you out when they do the procedure. That's it. Everything else, no. But I was just nervous about the anesthesia. What kind of anesthesia did you get, my friend? Good stuff. I don't know what the name of it was. It was great. He said, "Count back from 30. I got to I got to 29." And I was You're the you're out. the exact opposite of Ben and I. Both Ben and I wouldn't be scared scared of the anesthetic. We would love the anesthetic. <laughs> We'd be scared shitless about getting hair from somewhere ask, else. I was going to ask if you have any of it left over, but you know, the, the, no, no, sorry, the, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna, I was just gonna, I was just going to say real quick, the guy who did my procedure used to be a doctor who delivered babies. And so he was telling me about the difference between delivering babies versus doing hair transplants. So I felt pretty good by the time I got ready to go, because if you can bring a life into the world, hair transplants are super easy. You had a a doctor that literally switched ends. Um, (laughs) Okay, Ben Stein. Um, so the topic tonight, uh, first of all, everybody, I want everybody to prepare for the last 10 minutes of the show is where would you have wanted to be a fly on the wall? And I don't want it serious. I don't want it like, you know, the last supper. I want fun things that you could think of that, that take our minds off of politics of, of fun places. Like Ben's been to so many cool things. I know Rob has done some interesting things, um, but fly in the wall stuff. But wait, first wait, of all, Rob, I want to start with, Rob, sorry, Ben? You have offended Rob. I, but the first thing I want to talk about, Ben, is uh, the dam, the dam, dam is starting to, the dam, dam is starting to break. Um, you have Elon Omar making these horrific accusations, um, equating oh, Israel wow. and Hamas. <clears throat> Equated, wait, wait, she's going a little farther than that, right? Well, she's gone way farther than that. I mean, the absolute anti-Semitism. And, and the squad members are screaming, defending her. Screaming anti-Semitism. Screaming anti-Semitism. And the squad members are defending them. Well, the, the, the establishment her. Democrats are like, we let the animals loose and we can't call them back. And there is a serious, and at a certain point, even the media can't cover this, this this stuff up. And right now they're having an extremely, they can't cover it up, it's out there. Well, it's a, it's an interesting thing. If you, if you take in a person into your party who is distinctly unwell, filled with hatred, filled with a, a kind of pathological racism and let her loose and say, we love her and pat her on the back and say, go for it, Elon, uh, then you're going to have trouble. And it's, uh, so they're starting to have trouble. But I will tell you, it's a very reassuring sign that they are having trouble because 
if the Democrats are all rallying around and saying Heil Hitler, uh, I'd be really, really scared. I would be really, really, really scared. I have to say the squad, the jihad squad, scares me plenty as it is. And uh, if the Democrats were not uh, trying to rein her in uh, and, and her colleagues, I, I would be really, really scared. I, I'm, I'm happy that the Democrats are showing some backbone about this. What's, what's comical is they're claiming racism is why they're going against her. Um, claiming whose racism? The Democrats are racist for, for going after Elon Omar. But she Trump. is herself the, mo the most virulent racist currently operating on the planet. I mean, she oh. is absolutely number one. She and her jihad squad people are the most racist people operating on the planet today. Ben, how many times have I said stop being realistic? Stop living in reality when it comes to Democrats because that reality is something Democrats truly like to ignore, Rob. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because the, you have to do coalition building to win. And the establishment always likes to be in charge. And so they're willing to accept the people on the fringes. You see it on the Democrat and Republican sides, whenever they, whatever they need to be in power. Then once they're in power, the problem is those people have loud voices. And in the case of the Democrat Party, which is ever uh, in an ever quicker fashion, it seems like moving further and further to the left, okay, well, these, these people help give you power, but now you got to deal with them. So how do, you, how do you combine the Joe Mansions of the world who are actually interested in governing and staying in power, even if I don't agree with a lot of their governance, with the far radical left like AOC? Well, the, the, yes, well, you, if you invite in to your party people who are clearly not right mentally in terms of personality disorders, uh, you are going to have problems with them unless you unless you, you at least try to isolate them. But it's a big job. To, if you have a party member who has a very solid backing among certain groups, it's a very big job to keep her under control. And uh, I'm afraid that uh, Madame uh, Omar has a very solid backing among certain groups. And uh, I don't know how big the Jihad Squad is now. It, uh, a short time ago, it was just three people. Now it's, it's, it's five or six. Well, that's right. That's twice as many, roughly. So uh, it's, uh, it's a scary thing that they're out there. And of course, they get an astonishing amount of attention. The media, uh, they have to really, really, really go some to get the media interested in them in a critical way. Uh, critical race theory? Yeah, we have some critical race theory. We have, we have five or six totally crazy racists on the Democrat side who are uh, making Hitler uh, seem like he was respectful. I mean, these, these are people who would, without question in my mind, be up on the reviewing stand in Nuremberg with a Fuhrer uh, shouting Heil Hitler. It would be right next to Martin Bormann, Rudolf Hess, shouting Heil Hitler. No, he's completely right, Rob. And they have a former presidential candidate as their leader. Who is well, that? who is that? Who is that? Bernie Sanders. But he, but he, but Bernie Sanders. I mean, Judah. I've, you know, I've been trying to explain this to you for a long time. He's not really a politician. He's a mentally ill person. I, I, I that's, but Ben, I know. I was saying he is their leader, and he gives them cover, Rob, for their anti-Semitism with being one of the most self-loathing Jews of a generation. Well, we talked about this today on the air. So you always hear about, oh, people want bipartisanship and they want both sides to work together. When you hear the sort of stuff that comes out of, of people like Ilhan Omar comparing America to Hamas, and look, that sort of radical uh, enunciation from the far left is more common than it is rare these days. How are you supposed to work with those people? What common ground can you find with someone who compares America and all its goodness to Hamas? Uh, Judah, since you are the one who follows the news minute by minute, what in what areas did you say the U.S. and Hamas were the same? Israel, Israel. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought. Yeah, you're, you keep saying, uh, Rob. I love you dearly, but you keep saying you. She's saying the U.S. and Hamas are the same. Well, I mean, I, I. What's the difference at this point? She would probably say she might say the USA too. I mean, to her, you would say the USA is worse than yeah, Hamas. She, I mean, she this, likes Hamas. She doesn't like the USA. This, to me, is what's so scary: is that we have people in constitutionally elected 
representatives in the Congress who hate America, who explicitly hate America, explicitly hate the Constitution, explicitly, explicitly endorse racism. That's they, and many people in their party love them. Yeah, I mean, Rob, it's 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 um it's this really uh, I don't even want to say fascinating because when you say fascinating, it implies something good. It's absolutely frightening Terrifying. that they that they've allowed this thing to th these animals out and with no idea. I I really th don't think they. I don't know how they didn't see this coming. I mean, honest to God. And it really brings me up to the Republicans, right? That still think that the people that are still sitting there thinking people are going to come back to their party. It's almost the reverse that's going on now, right? You have these old GOP figures who think everybody's going to swing away from Trump. And you have these Democrats who are, it's just this weird thing that's going on. Well, wait, I, I, could you finish that, that sentence? You have this, okay, we have the Republicans, often rhinos, who think the party is going to completely uh, repudiate Trump. That's not going to happen. Uh, what, and, and, you have, and you have, and you have, and you have, and Ben, you have a majority, and not a majority, a lot of the Democrats who believe in BLM, who are standing up for, who are standing up for the squad. And I'm talking about, I don't know what the percentage is of the party, but it's a it's it's a way bigger percentage than people that have abandoned Trump. That's for darn sure. I I, I want to go back to him, uh, Judah. You and I talk on the phone quite frequently, and uh, I have the great pleasure of your company on the phone and in person. Uh, what? Let's let's turn the clock back to the start. BLM has raked in a hell of a lot of money. What do they do with it? They buy homes that, that's they don't, they're, they're not they're not spending anywhere near enough to absorb all the money they're spending on homes they, i mean they've taken as i understand it, tens of millions of dollars they certainly have not spent tens of millions of dollars on real estate in los angeles i i mean i i have a good idea what real estate in los angeles costs it's not that expensive so maybe they're building what, tunnels like hamas does in israel seriously, uh, seriously what are they doing with the money because i i thought that the, the, the uh, what should I say? The draw was that if you give money to BLM, they will give the money to poor African American people who, whose uh, breadwinner has been killed by police violence. So far as I am able to detect by reading the newspapers, and uh, they have not been able to find any trace of BLM doing that. So, what is BLM doing with the money? What do you think, Rob? Well, I want to come back to something that I said earlier, because Ilhan Omar did compare the U.S. to Hamas. And look, this is from NBC News, who's certainly not going to be accused of being a uh, conservative organization. Here's a quote from Representative Brad Schneider about it, equating the United States and Israel to Hamas and the Taliban is as offensive as it is misguided. Nancy Pelosi, uh, House leadership, including Nancy Pelosi, issued a statement echoing the initial condemnation, saying, quote, drawing false equivalencies between democracies like the U.S. and Israel and groups that engage in terrorism like Hamas and the Taliban foments prejudice and undermines the progress towards a future of peace and security for all. So, I mean, she did she did do that. I mean, it doesn't God really bless change. You. God, God bless you, Rob, for, for bringing me up to the speed on that. But I want to ask you, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not getting this point across very well. I think. What did Representative Elon Omar say were the ways in which Israel and the U.S. No, no Ben, she Hamas. didn't give examples. She did, that's the whole thing. That would take, that would, she doesn't, they don't need examples. That's not what the left's about. They're about throwing out these, you're a racist. You're, 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 you're making the moral equivalence. They're, they're, you, if anybody in their right mind were to look at Israel and Hamas, and I'm talking about a lot of people on the left, Ben, who have decided that Hamas is now the darling of, of, of the party to defend. If any of them were to ever look, nobody ever looks, and, and a lot of people don't know this. So let me say this. If Israel, for whatever, is, is the only place where Arabs could vote and sit on the parliament in that region, pretty much. It's the only place you could be gay. It's the only place you could, uh, women could drive. Free medical care. Free medical care. And, and, and <clears throat> compared to the rest of the region, I mean, compared to the rest of the world, for the most part, in most countries, 
they have more rights than than in, in, in many other countries. And then that brings me back again, uh, uh, Rob, my favorite person in, the, in that part of the world, to my question. When Ilan Omar said the U.S. And, and Hamas are the same or similar, she must have made, made some specific comparison. Yeah, Ben, I'm pulling it up right now, so give me just a second. But the, but the point of what Judas is, I'm trying to find the exact quote because I don't want to misquote her, is that she was talking about great uh, genocide or whatever that's been committed amongst countries, and she starts naming off people. And it's a U.S., it's Israel, it's, it's uh, Hamas. So she names all of these people in one group as though they're the same people. And the U.S. is not the same as Hamas. And the Israel is even remotely as Amazon. I... I I wonder if there's any kind of provision in the rules of the uh, Congress for having a representative uh, uh, removed for clear signs of mental illness. Um, you know, usually they lose their positions, right? Republicans have taken away positions for Marjorie. What's her name? Marjorie Taylor Green. Green. Marjorie Taylor Green. Marjorie Taylor Green. They took it away from that guy from Maine or Iowa, Steve King, I think it was, Rob. Um, so they have taken. Yeah, Steve their, King. Yeah. Yeah, they have taken away positions for people. And Steve King, these people make Steve King look like he's uh, like he's got no moderate, opinion. Moderate, moderate and kind-hearted. Like, and, like, and he actually isn't a bad guy. So, so I have the quote here, if, if I can read it real quick. This is yes, what she tweeted wrong. on Monday. We have seen unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban. So she managed to lump us in with not just Hamas, but Afghanistan and the Taliban. Like there's some moral equivalency between the United States and the Taliban. Well, and, I, I, as I say, she's, she's a wicked and I'm sorry to say an unwell person. I mean, it's, it's Karl Marx himself, a, a quite well-known mentally ill person, said it's amazing how much of the world's work each day is done by people who are not well. And he meant not well in the head. By the way, Bren brings up another point. So let's get back to the point. And if you just tuned in, you are listening to The World According to That Man, Benjamin Jeremy Stein. I am reading your comments. We thank you for your comments. Um, we welcome you all. And thank you for keep on downloading that podcast. Don't forget to do it. And uh, tell your friend about it. Steal their phone. Download it. Um, but welcome back to The World According to Ben Stein. I'm with Rob Kendall and Ben Stein. Ben raised a good question. Where is all the money going that is given to Black Lives Matter? It's a very good question. So now I, I will give you this since we don't know the answer. Twitter recently, everybody has released the tax terms almost illegally, Rob, right? Of like Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, uh, I believe uh, Bill Gates had his tax returns released. And Twitter, I, but I can guarantee you this, if anybody were to ask this question on Twitter or Facebook or any social media platform or release their accounting books, Ben, Nobody would be, they would be banned and it would not be allowed to be brought up. Wait, you mean to tell me, you know, I have a, a, a friend, a close friend who has a Twitter account. You mean if I, if she were photographing me and I said, by the way, I'd be very curious to know what uh, these wonderful people at Black Lives Matter are doing with the money that's being contributed to them, that would get her and me banned from Twitter? No, it, what I'm saying is if you released the documents, if you released their tax forms or their filings, I am sure that Google and Facebook and everybody would do everything in the world, Rob, to suppress the actual story. Wow. So, wow. They, why, why would, well, this is just out of curiosity, they would do that just because anything that uh, Black people do is okay? Well, they would do that to protect what they think is the little bell of the ball. You can't break the dam. Let me back up. Let me back up. A very, very close relative of mine recently shared with me that she and her husband, very well-to-do people, uh, gave money to Black Lives Matter. I was so stunned I almost drove off the road. She was talking about all in my car. Uh, and I, but I, I, I asked her, what do you think they do with the money? And she didn't know. But uh, I don't see any any sign that is going anywhere useful. I mean, I, I've told you a million times, and I'll tell you a million one. And first time, when, when my wife and I were at Yale, we worked very hard raising money for the Black Panther parties. What we were told was a free breakfast program. 
which is to say there were these little children up in the hill section of New Haven uh, who were not getting a nourishing breakfast. And we raised enough money for thousands of them to get a free nourishing breakfast every morning. It turned out the money was going for drugs and these people were drug dealers and murderers. Okay, that's very deeply unfortunate and horrible, especially for the people they tortured to death and, and so forth. But question, are we ever going to find out anything similar about Black Lives Matter? What are they doing with the money? I, I assume they're doing something wonderful and useful. What is it? Uh, that's, yeah, I know you're being sarcastic, Rob, but to, to, to get back to it, Rob, it'll never be released. Right. So Ben is uh, obviously super qualified, way more qualified than I am on this because he understands, one, the economy better than I do. He's an economist. Makes sense. And he's testified in front of Congress and various other legal entities. So, Ben, I've never understood why people are so mad at the rich people taking every uh, deduction possible. Right. They always act like whether it's Trump or Romney or whoever that somebody doesn't review their tax returns every year. The IRS totally clamps down on Donald Trump or Jeff Bezos or Mark Cuban or whoever, right? They totally scrutinize these tax returns and are looking for a mistake that they made. Yeah, but will they do that to BLM? And what, what has BLM reached a stage of being so exalted among the nations here in America that they literally can not be questioned. Even yeah, I'll, I'll give you an example. I just pulled up a story, and and it was Candace Owens, uh, the we love, black, we love her, we love who, her, who we love, and um, a few other people who were questioning where the money was going, and immediately groups jump in to to say, no, that's not that that's that's factually incorrect, and and so so. It, it, it's pretty much like the last five years. You're never going to get the real story. There's never going to be investigations as we discussed this the other night. I went to CNN. You know, sometimes you do have to read what's going on in other places and other outlets. And I could, and I said, I shared this with somebody. I couldn't find one investigative piece. I couldn't find one piece that they actually did on their own, Rob, where it was a CNN exclusive, where it was a CNN journalist. So th this is, a, again, a follow-up with a question for Ben, because he understands the economy. Under I, Obama, nobody understands it, but I know a teeny little bit about it. Well, under Obama, there was a huge crackdown on nonprofits and their tax returns because they wanted to come after these conservative groups. And so I guess I would buy, be naive to think that as BLM, I guess it's technically a nonprofit, would be receiving the same sort of crackdown that, I don't know, the Tea Party did in, say, 2014. No, they're not going to get that because all life is political. And uh, we have, we, when I was at law school at Yale, there was a, a, a carved in stone above the main entrance on Wall Street, although it had nothing to do with the New York Wall Street. There was this quote, the life of the law is not logic, but experience. And uh, the life of the law is that politically popular left-wing groups do not get scrutinized. They get away with bloody murder. So just so you know, you know, I just want to switch quickly since we're all like Googling and looking at our phones. Are they, the squad members came out in the fence saying enough with the anti-blackness and Islamophobia. And so, what does that mean? What does that even mean? Anti-blackness. Black comes back to blend again. And she's she's Somalian. I'm not even sure what that's considered. Um, and oh, that's as black as black can be. Right. And Ben, but you got to remember, they have every safeguard in there, because remember, as I described to you, the definition of intersectionality, and that is what they constantly play on. It's it's it, we're the victims. So essentially, victims could scream whatever they want from the rooftops and never have to pay for what they're screaming. And all because if you come after them, it, if you come after them with actual facts, it doesn't matter. You're a racist. You're an Islamophobist. You're, you're, you're anything if you go after any of these groups. So they will continue to get, they will continue, continue to get um, donations. They will con be, continue to not have to be audited. And that's just the way it is, Rob, because Republicans, and I got to say this, Ben, Trump for four years was under assault. I haven't seen the House members, the members of the House, do anything 
to make the left uncomfortable. That's absolutely true. As far as I can tell, now there may be things going on that I don't know about. I have a very close, very smart friend in Washington named Nolan Rappaport who follows immigration very, very closely. And I think he was able to send me recently some uh, data about Republicans uh, urging investigations about the total failure of uh, border control. That, but, but that's it, my point, urging. I want to actually see, I heard no offense to your friend, Lindsey Graham, but Ben, we heard him on Hannity for four years urging for Hunter Biden and for all these uh, inquire, inquiries to the, to, the, to, the, to the position that he held, that he could have brought them up on, Rob. But where are the Republicans? It's, it's fascinating. So we actually, I played this, I stole a clip from our show the other night and played it on the air on the Mock and Rob show the other day, which is that great clip about, we were talking about fairness in the media. And it's that clip of Ben talking about Pontius Pilate with Jesus and finally throwing his hands up and going, what is justice and moving on? No, what and is truth? What or is what is truth, I'm sorry, and, and moving on. And, this, the, and I just thought that was such a great clip talking about how there really is no truth anymore. It's whatever you make it out to be. And you're seeing it, we've seen it with the Hunter Biden stuff and the total lack of reporting on his ridiculously disgusting language he used over and over and over again, the lack of reporting. You see it on the lack of any sort of inquisitive inquisitivity on what's going on on the border. The basic, other than in a random act of journalism from NBC, a free pass on Kamala Harris. And you basically see it on how do these BLM leaders end up with four homes and yet there's no proof whatsoever of what they've done to actually help African-Americans. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. They thought of an incredibly clever slogan. Uh, it's meaningless in terms of reality. I went uh, to this person who's extremely close to me, no, except for my wife, nobody closer. And uh, I said, are you aware that of death, violent deaths of African-American men that uh, above 98% are caused by other African-American or Latino men. 2% uh, or less are caused by uh, uh, white, pe white people, uh, including police. She was not aware of it, didn't care. And uh, still said, uh, Black Lives Matter, and she's gonna wear that banner. Well, I think Black Lives Matter, too. I, I mean, I, I, uh, I was recently in Silver Spring, Maryland, where I grew up. I went to the elementary school where I went to elementary, elementary school. And great, great, great school. The only Black person there the whole time I was there was the janitor, Willie, because it was racially segregated by law. We all loved Willie, and we were very, very happy when the segregation was over and Black people could go there. Now... All of that's gone bye-bye. All that's gone bye-bye. All the hope that somehow black and white people would get along wonderfully, gone bye-bye. I assume they still do in some places. I'm sure there's some wonderful colleges and universities where black and white people get along well. There's a great, 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 great college in the Berkshires called Williams College. I have no doubt whatsoever that everybody there gets along very, very well. But in general, this whole idea we had that we're going to let down the burden, the barriers, and say black and white people get together, love each other as neighbors. It didn't happen. And instead, we got lunatics like Elon Omar stirring up racial hatred wherever possible. And I will say this. I think, I think whites now don't like each other more possibly in our country because we've become so politically tribal in ways in anybody's wildest dreams they couldn't have seen that I don't think anymore, I, I agree with you what you're saying about the race thing, but it's not just race anymore. It's, 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 it's white, it's, it's if you're a D in front of your name and you are, you're an R in front of your name, you, you, you can't be in the same room, you can't get along, you can't be, it, it, it's in ways I never robbed, thought it was is humanly possible. Well, what I'm worried about is when there's going to be a J after my name for Jewish. And, that, and, and that's, that's coming. Before your name. No. <laughs> Very funny. J, uh, no, for Jewish. When I was a child growing up in Washington, D.C., the newspapers, when there was a crime, would list whether the person apprehended or arrested was black or white. And it would say B, a C for colored or W for white. Rob, go that's ahead. Not, that's coming. Well, the, the crazy the crazy thing about someone like Ilhan Omar is she 
is the epitome of what America is, right? It's someone who immigrated to this country, has achieved that much success, and now runs the country, and yet she has immense hatred for the country. She should be somebody that we should put up or somebody who should put herself up and go, look, this is why America's so great. This is why it's such a wonderful place. You can immigrate here. You can be accepted. You can be put up on a pedestal. You can run the government, you know, no matter what background you come from. And yet, for some reason, this sort of person who should love this country more than life itself believes America is inherently evil, and I don't get it. Well, she... Have you ever heard schizophrenia? <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I, I, I mean, I'm not, well, actually, I'm a doctor, but I, I, uh, I, I think uh, these people are not um, right in the head. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a matter of politics. I think they're not right in the head. They're, they're I think just... you're completely right. I, if you just think you are listening to the world according to Ben Stein, but one of my favorite um, uh, the, titles of his story of the day was on Breitbart when it said Tubin Jeffrey Tubin returns to CNN job and it says not whacked for Zoom whack job and I think that is one of the funniest things I, I've seen as a title of, of a piece and Ben listen we're not judging people and their perversions what people do I don't think that's a perversion you think that's a perversion masturbating on the Zoom chat while others could see you that don't know what you're doing? It's a little bizarre. Uh, I would say it's unusual, but a perversion in the sense that it would be in the DSM for mental illness. Well, it might be, it might be. Yeah, Ben, I think that might be in the... I, ben, I, you, I mean, you I take mean. aside anything we discussed prior to the show or anything that... But when somebody doesn't know you're doing something, you're a lawyer that's constantly... Be berating everybody else as not being as morally or ethically as good as you when you've spent four years blasting President President Trump and you get caught jack you know doing you know whatever on a Zoom call is is and, and CNN allows him back on the job. Well, it, was it, it, who was he on the Zoom call with? I, I believe it was uh, people from the New York. What is it? Either the New Yorker or one of those, and they were not. Doesn't he, doesn't he work for the New Yorker? Yes, that's who he did it with. And it wasn't like a lot of people that, if you saw who they were, it wasn't like all of a sudden he was watching the Zoom call, going, "Oh wow, this is uh, this is uh, quite the turn on." But it just goes to show you again. You're talking about this mental illness. There is a network with sheer absolute mental illness. I don't know how he got his job back. I don't even know how. This is the double standard, right? And we saw it through the Clinton years, right? You saw organizations like Now and all those organizations never defending the women. You, you, you saw, and, and all of a sudden you have this guy that does this. Where, where are the women screaming me too? Where are the women? I'm just saying I don't agree with the Me Too movement, but at least Ben, be consistent. But they're not going. Of course, they're not consistent. They're not honest. They have no style, and they're they're bad. They're bad people. I respectfully point out there have been some incredibly wonderful Democrats in the past, but the party now, unfortunately, op operates largely as an outdoor uh, refuge for mental illness uh, victims. So it's. It's, it's sad at that point. And I'm sure there are still many very, very, very fine Democrats. Very, very fine. I don't consider myself a particularly fine person. I'm sure there are tens of millions of Democrats who are much finer than I am. Uh, but I think for someone to be masturbating on, on the internet in front of the New Yorker, that's great. This is great. By, by the way, I'll tell you one interesting thing. When I was a child, my parents subscribed. When, when you were what? A child. A child. I, my parents subscribed to the New Yorker, and I think it was either 15 or 20 cents an issue. And I picked one up in my doctor's office yesterday or the day before, and it's $8 an issue. Uh, it's, I, I, honest to God, I don't know if I've ever read the New Yorker in my life, Rob, but I, I, and I hate talking about double standards. And somebody brought up, turn your camera off. I really think part of his thing was keeping the camera on. It's, it, it's, 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 it's like when they say a person that rapes doesn't, it's not a sexual act, it's an act of power. This is like, this is like these people seeing how, like people like Wiener 
how far they could spread their power. And even if they do get caught, how much could they get away with? Who is Wiener? Anthony Wiener. Oh. So two things. One, you treat the camera on a group call like you do a microphone on the radio. You assume it's always on at all times and everyone is watching you. That's just like basic etiquette. Two, I'm really curious because Ben's been in Hollywood. He's been in Washington. Who's the biggest weirdo you ever worked with, Ben? You had to work with some crazy weirdos, right? Hmm. Are you... You're asking a very, very good question, but I would have to say a person in Hollywood that I, <coughs> was one of the nicest people I ever met. I loved him a lot. He did a hell of a lot for my family. He gave my wife a very, very good job at Paramount Pictures. And uh, he was an incredibly wonderful guy, but a very strange guy. He uh, if they took too long at the gate, opening a gate on the studio lot, he would just drive through it and smash it to pieces with his very fancy car and then have the, car, the studio get him another car. He would routinely, routinely, routinely uh, use the casting couch and uh, he would get girls over to his house. He had a very nice house in Bel Air. And uh, he would, uh, as he would say, I think his phrase was uh, break them in or something like that and do some interesting things with them. Uh, and, but you know what? He was a weirdo. There's no doubt about it. He was a weirdo, but he was one of the nicest guys I ever met. But, you know, here's the thing. You got to remember Ben because he was, you know, he did a lot of character. He did a lot of one-offs or, he, you know, aside from obviously when Ben Stein's money, which was on forever and movies like The Mask and The Mask 2, which he was on it for a bunch. Um, I, I, I would, what about Jim Carrey? He was strange, but he's talked so little when we were on the set that it would be hard to say uh, how strange he was, but uh, you're right. That, that's, that's a pretty good one. That's a, that's a darn good one. And, that's, that's a darn good one. And Rob, I have a great one that accidentally happened. And I don't know if Ben wants to talk about it, but it was somebody that we met at a Bob's big boy that you worked in the <laughs> same, that you worked at, the, that you were in this. Should I share that story? Sure. I mean, I, I, I can only say it brings a tear to my eyes because I love Bob's big boy so much. They don't seem to be around anymore, but there you are. We got okay, so we what, were what, 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 Wait, was, what, is Bob's big boy like Frisch's big boy? Is that a hamburger? Joy yeah, it's, 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 it used to be a national place. It's very famous. It's iconic. It's got the big boy outside. Okay, right, right. Okay, and, yep, yep. And we, there's, a, there's, a, there's a Bob's big boy on the way to the desert. And... Um, and <laughs> And I was sitting there as Ben was in the bathroom and this waiter who really looked like the big boy walked up to me and said, you're never going to believe it's like a Ferris Bueller's reunion in here. And I was like, okay, what are you talking about? I, you know, I, I thought he was maybe challenged. And um, he said, there's the principal. And, and so I go to the bathroom and I say, Hey Ben, did you ever work with the principal? And he said, no. And, um, and so they end up, Ben goes outside talking to the principal, Mr. Rooney, Jeffrey Jones is his name. And um, we end up making dinner plans with, or <clears throat> excuse me, Ben did with Jeffrey Jones. And as we're driving, I had vaguely remembered that Jeffrey Jones had some issues. And, um, and let's just say it wasn't one issue. He had three felonies for for child for 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 child stuff and but i gotta tell you as ben said he couldn't be nicer the guy was he he was exceptionally a nice guy and as i'm getting as i'm like wikipediaing him it's getting worse as you go down the list of stuff that that he's done and um and but we had dinner with him and that's what i love about ben stein he treated him with with of the utmost, he treated him with it. It was a very nice dinner, man, right? Well, you're very kind. I, and that, by the way, the place we took him to dinner is gone too. That's heart rendering too, as my wife would say. Yeah. So, 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 so some strange times with Rob. That's a good question. I like your fascination with this stuff. That was, uh, and I'll think of stuff because Ben's told me a lot of stories of, 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 of the weird, of the occult. But I wanna, real, 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 real quick, can I just, I just say that's so fascinating to me that you are, were both such, prominent characters on such a wonderful movie and yet you guys had never met before yeah well i i yeah it's true i 
It's very true. It's, it, it is. It is fascinating, and uh, I don't know what uh, what to say. But he was a very, very much more talented actor than I am, and uh, he did a great, great job. And uh, boy, I, I miss those days a lot. A really, really lot. I mean, it's funny. I got a an email from uh, Pat Buchanan. Uh, a couple of, uh, well, about an hour, a few hours ago. Really. I love how so matter-of-factly, this is the great part about Ben's world. Most people don't sit, aren't sitting at home now going, you know, a couple hours ago, Pat Buchanan emailed me. But go yeah, ahead, I, Ben. Like a day ago. So, so, and, and he said, boy, those 60s, those were some times. And I thought, yeah, they sure were. Wow, were they ever. And then I and then you at the beginning as we were warming up, Rob, you said the seventies. What were the seventies like? <laughs> the seventies were so great. And I mean, unless you were in Vietnam, and thank God, Mr. Nixon, well, almost all the Americans. Or the sixties. Or the sixties. But the seventies. Oh my God, were we were we having a good time? So the, let's back up. Was your experiences of the sixties the same as Pat Buchanan's? Uh, no, but uh, we we all had a good. We're all having a damn good time, and of course. Uh, Pat was putting Nixon back on the map, uh, and uh, I was, uh, what should I say, uh, I was giving young people intense courses in constant, their constitutional rights. And what's interesting is somebody brought up, and we've brought this up on the show before, that serial killers could be a, a nice person. It could be could be nice, and Ben knew one. Ben met one of the kindest, nicest serial killers. Well, he he, he, was, he, he actually was not as kind and nice as he could have been. But uh, thank God he didn't kill me or anyone I knew. But uh, he scared me plenty. I'll tell you that. I used to I, when I walked my dog. This was Edmund Daniel Kemper. When I walked my dog at night uh, up at UC Santa Cruz, I was packing heat, and I was uh, I was ready to use it. So here, oh, somebody asked the question. This is actually a really good question. Do you think anybody that's worked with you would say you're one of the weirdest people you've worked with? Uh, I, 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 yeah, I think so, probably. But I try to be, I try to be very disciplined. No, no, weird doesn't mean you're bad. It could be mean interesting. You know, it encompasses it, right? I mean, I would imagine a lot of people have said, damn, that Ben Stein. That was uh, something that was one hell of an interesting person I met today. Well, I think uh, for being a Republican on Hollywood sets, especially in the uh, comedy comedy workshop of Norman Lear, they must have thought I was pretty weird. I remember one guy in particular, very successful uh, network sitcom producer, when he read a book, uh, the first draft of a book I had written about the political leanings of people in Hollywood. He was just, he came down the hall to where I was standing, actually talking to Norman Lear, and he threw down the manuscript and said, traitor to me. And, and uh, I said, why? And, and he said something like, because you told the truth. And I thought that was kind of funny. But anyway, hey, Judah, that, Judah, that's such an interesting thing because people ask me all the time, because obviously we play the clips with Ben. I reference things that we've discussed here on the, on the show, on the Mock and Rob show. And people ask me all the time, what's been like in person and i tell him what a just a hilarious funny quick-witted guy he is but the characters been played were you know always the you know they think of ferris bueller planes trains and automobiles and so it's so fascinating fascinating how people view someone just from the few scenes they see them in the movie and then they're like that's amazing i had no idea he was like that i would well, say that i would humbly say the two things that that sort of depict ben the most it, it, that you get the best of Ben is win Ben Stein's money combined with the clear eyes. Because I was, wow, was that fun? Except when they did the one where they dropped me into a in bed in the water. <laughs> that was awful. I <laughs> right, but other than that, Ben, you know, you 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 get the brilliance on win Ben Stein's money and a little sarcasm, but on the and then you got the fun of the of the clear eyes commercials. Of, of his of his sense of humor so that that I think is is the perfect combo of two things how you would describe Ben Stein I, I, I would say I, I should have answered and answered your query Jimmy Kimmel is incredibly interesting to work with him he, he and I are on different sides of events politically very much so but he is a stunningly intelligent smart funny guy and a very nice guy and his cousin Sal an amazingly impressive guy just an incredibly 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 impressive guy 
Sal, uh, Sal is just a, a genius. I mean, just a real genius. So apparently somebody in the chat, I gotta say this met John Wayne Gacy for an, a half an hour and they couldn't have been <laughs> and they couldn't have been kinder. And then they said they went crazy. I I, I got I, I gotta be honest that that's that's uh an interesting one to say because he's probably the he's cre he's even creepier than Big Ed Kemper, I gotta be honest. Hey, Big hey, Ed Kemper, hey. if you're not if you're not a girl or not a girl hitchhiking or else's mother, he was a Hey Ben, can I? And I hope this isn't too personal of a question, but like with the clear eyes thing, do they come to you and go, "We're looking for a spokesman. You'd be great." Uh, like, how does that happen? How does that come about? They came to my agent and they said, "Would you like to do it?" And I think she said, "Does it pay in money?" And uh, so <laughs> being given a potato or a chicken, and uh, we agreed to do it. I did it for about fifteen or sixteen years, and I really, really, really enjoyed it. And I was heartbroken when they canceled. I think they not well. They first of all replaced me with an African American woman, but that didn't work well, and so soon they stopped having ads at all. But they are still on the shelves, and it's a great product, if I may say so. Do, do they let you write your own check when you oh, become as famous and associated no, with the no, product? No, I, I, was, I, I was extremely happy with what I was being paid. But certainly by no means writing my own check. But I mean, I, yeah, I was happy with what I was being you, paid. Did you mean write your own dialogue, Rob? No, no, no I, just meant, I just meant like when you become as associated with the product, like you can't lose Ben Stein because you think of him when you think of Clear Eyes. And I just wonder how that, those negotiations go. Well, they 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 didn't think that they didn't think I was all that important, or else they would, would not have let me ben, know. Tell them, the, the, tell them about Hollywood. Everybody's replaceable. Everybody's replaceable. Yeah, everybody's replaceable. As, as I think Michael Eisner said, uh, especially for women uh, who think that they're irreplaceable, there are ten new ones coming in on the bus or on the plane every day. And, and if you look, if you and if you look, nobody ever thought Bill O'Reilly was replaceable. And then even I mean, Bill O'Reilly didn't think he was replaceable. And I can say I didn't think he'd be replaceable. But he set up such a foundation at that network that a nutless monkey could have come in and had sort of the success that Bill O'Reilly had and Roger Ailes had built up. That's how strong. And it was Clear Eye's biggest mistake. I mean, you were obviously synonymous with it. I don't get why companies do that when they took the Snapple lady away, when they took, I mean, you're talking about pennies compared to these companies and to take away that face is just, is, is, is a, a ludicrous thing. And I'm not just saying that, but if you just tuned in, you are listening to the Very world done. according to Ben Stein. We have steered away from politics for the moment, um, getting an inside picture into the life of Ben Stein as Rob Kendall is extremely curious and extremely a great uh, interviewer and questioner. And great hair and an unbelievably great hair. With the yeah. lush locks of, what's the name of the place again, Rob? WeGrowHairIndy.com. So uh, before, we, and, and, and I want to welcome everybody back to the world of going to stuff. Before we um, uh, get to that thing of where would you want to be a fly in the wall, um, and I thank everybody for staying with us as we veered off of topics of politics a little bit. How, you see, you constantly talk about the governor of Indiana being a rhino, right? And just terrible. So, and then you brought up Joe Manchin before. I'm just curious. Would you rather have a is it, would you rather have Mansion as your governor or this guy as your governor? Oh, absolutely, without a doubt, Mansion. Because in Indiana we have Republican supermajorities. The problem is they're always Billy Badass when there's someone to fight with, but there's no one to fight with, and they're completely unwilling to take on this governor because he's of the same party. So if you had a in a weird way, I say this all the time on the air. If you had a Democrat in power, the the supermajorities in the legislature would be so much better. And there's such a low threshold for the governor in terms of its 50 plus one for a veto override in the state of Indiana, you'd have way better, more conservative policy if you had a Democrat in charge of the state as governor. Maybe uh, maybe you should run for governor as a Democrat. I need it here. Okay, well, you're needed. we need you very much. That's somebody right. wants a before picture Rob, okay? So that's what somebody asked for in the chat room. So Rob, if you have a before picture, can you please get a Rob used to do the show before he got the plugs. I didn't even know about fine. the plugs. He until he's absolutely great. He still looks good. And now, my wife is insanely in love with him. Thinks he's really great. And uh, we're also, we, we, we think you look great no matter what you do with your hair. 
Okay, so before I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you because well, uh, this is a really funny story. I share it with one of my closest friends. This is a true story. One day, Rob, he called me up and he said, can you do me a favor? Can you pick me up at the, at the doctor's? And I thought it was this emergency. So I get there and his hair is all, his head is whole, his whole head is bandaged up. And I'm like, oh my God, are you okay? Like what happened to you? Did you have a concussion? He goes, if I tell you, you have to swear, you're not going to tell anybody. So I go, oh my God, I swear, whatever, whatever it is. He goes, I had hair replacement. I had hair plugs. I go, okay, you know, I'm not. So I go to his house, I drop him off and then he goes to do something. I'm smoking. I, I go to smoke a cigarette and I call up my friend. I go, you're never going to believe who just got hair plugs. And I said to my friend, please don't tell him. So an hour later, the guy that got hair plugs called me and goes, did you tell anybody? And I go, oh, man. I go, yeah, I told him. I didn't know he was interested, too, in getting hair plugs. And um, but on that note, I want to get to where would you want to would you would you have wanted to be a fly in? And I guess in Rob's case, a lot of it has to do. Rob gets to be a, a fly in Ben's world and Ben's life, and it's 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 so much fun watching that dynamic and, and listening to this on the show. <clears throat> but I'll start it with this, and I want to hear from the fans because I don't want it to be political. In my case, Ben and I are huge fans of the Traveling Wilburys, which is one of the greatest to me, one of the greatest supergroups bands of all time. It was it was George Harrison, Ringo Starr, not Ringo Starr, George Harrison. Um, Roy Orbison, Tom Petty, Dylan, and Jeff Lynn from ELO. And I would have loved to have sat in on those recording sessions. I would have been loved to have just sat there and watched those geniuses work. I would have loved to have seen the first time Bob Dylan played in Greenwich Village and seen how the audience responded to him. <clears throat> I, even now, Bob Dylan lives near me in Malibu. I've never seen him. So I, I would still like to see him. He just turned 80 years old. Uh, the guy has, is such a genius. It's unbelievable. I was talking to my psychiatrist this afternoon. I guess I have a psychiatrist. And I, I took, used the phrase breadcrumb sins. And I said, that's a great phrase. Isn't it? It's from a Bob Dylan song. And he turned out to be a huge Bob Dylan fan. He looked it up on his phone immediately. And we, we, we got the song within like 10 seconds. Rob. Judah, do you know what song it is? Uh, Great Bob Dylan song. The uh, Gates of Eden. And that is what it was like in the 70s. Before you started the show, you, Rob Kendall, of the Great Hair Kendalls, asked me what it was like in the 70s. And it was as if they had opened up the Gates of Eden. It was great. Now, not if you were in Vietnam, that's for sure. Ben, but when I was a student, it was great. Ben, and, I'm sure you, I'm sure you will, I'm sure you'll agree with this, Ben, that the Free Will and Bob Dylan is one of the five greatest albums of all time. You bet. You're not kidding. Oh, you're not kidding. You're not kidding. So, you're Rob, kidding. going with my thing, um, I would have, of course, loved to be in the room with, uh, in the room when they went to the moon beforehand. Going, <laughs> I would have been loved. Like, <laughs> Love to listen to that conversation between uh, Neil Armstrong and uh, and the rest of the astronauts going, we're doing it, boys. But Rob, <laughs> what about you? Where would you like to fly in? So, I, I, look, this is just a Homer thing. And one of the cool things about me about being on the show is I grew up loving Ben Stein. Like, I loved Ben Stein's money. Comedy Central, you know, I was whatever, 12, 13, 14. I would watch that show. I would think how great it was. Ferris Bueller. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, one of my favorite movies ever. I And I think it's so cool when super famous people inspire people who become famous later. And you hear the story from famous people about how they were inspired. And I just think this, the story that Ben tells about when he met Elvis. I mean, that's just such a damn cool story about this guy that would inspire so many people meets this other guy who inspired so many people. He inspired and, the whole world. I mean, yeah. this guy was... This guy was a god. In fact, it's interesting. Just yesterday, I think I was, I was talking to somebody in this household. I forget who we have so many people walking in and out of this household all the time. It's time. like a bus station. But uh, someone said, who was the handsomest singer there ever was? And I said, by far, Elvis Presley. And she said, absolutely no question about it. every woman in the world would want to have sex with Elvis Presley. And I thought, wow, 
I got to meet him in person just if, and have a meal, basically have a meal with him. Elvis Presley. Somebody, somebody wrote that, that is amazing. You know, I think that's the greatest story. And uh, but somebody wrote they would have been loved to have been in the garage of Hewlett Packard, Hewlett Packard's <laughs> garage. <laughs> Rock breath. I think that's it's absolutely a brilliant, uh, a brilliant one. But Ben, where would you have wanted to be a fly in the wall? I would have wanted to be a fly on the wall with uh, Ben Bradley and Bob Woodward uh, decided to make up Watergate and to make up that story and kick the greatest peacemaker that has ever been in the White House out of a job and uh, basically start a conspiracy to ruin the governance of the nation and laugh about it. I would love- Non-political, Ben. A fun one. A fun one. I would say as a fun one, well, the most fun I have ever had in my life was when I was teaching at American University in Washington, D.C. in 1972. And I had a, the largest class in the history of American University, 360 students. Uh, they loved me. When I walked into the room, they would stand and applaud and stomp their feet. And uh, we just had the greatest time you've ever seen in your life. And if I could have kept that job for the rest of my life, I would have done it. It was incredible, incredible. Being a teacher, if you do it the way I did it, was the absolutely best job in the world. And even to have been a fly on the wall observing me would have been great. Those were the days, my friend, we thought they'd never end. Oh, my God, were those days great. So, so here's my question to you. What the fuck happened? What, <laughs> when did well, this country lose its sense of humor, its sense of fun, its sense of, its sense of exploration? When did we become so darn serious? I think it had a lot to do with Watergate. I think it had to do with the, the uh, urgent need of the media to whip up a false story to get a genuinely uh, a genuine American hero out of office and uh, to uh, humiliate him and change the political party and change the result of the 1972 election in which Nixon won the greatest landslide of all time. And the media was able to steal it away from him over a completely imaginary thing. That suddenly, everything was suddenly turned to skew. There was no reality basis anymore. It was all just what the, the party said was important. The inner party, it became like life in the inner party in 1984, a very, very unstable, unsociable, un insecure place to be. Very I bad. Mean, the 80s were fun, Ben, for a lot of people. No, they, not, nothing like this. No, same. no, no. I'm saying, but if you notice, it, generally, it, it, it went from, it got worse from decade to decade to get. Yes, so you're probably yeah. right. Because yes. the 80s were fun for a lot of people. Sadly, you had a virus that you that stopped people from having fun. The 90s were dominated, Rob, by grunge music, which was extremely obviously not fun. It was suicidal and drugicidal and all that stuff. The 2000s, and, and we every decade we've gotten to, to this point where it's like you're not allowed to enjoy your life as the way they the way they preach to you. We say in AA, I said I will tell you this. I think either Bob or Bill, one of, one, of the, one of the big boys in AA said, life is short and I absolutely insist on enjoying it. Somebody wrote a great one. Uh, who is it? Uh, Josh Richardson, sorry if we go two minutes over, said they would love to be a, been a fly in the wall. And so would I at the table reading for planes, trains and automobiles. I would have given my left nut. Um, which is a, sort of a quote from that. One of my favorite <laughs> scenes is when he, when he, they're sleeping on the plane, and and it, 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 and John Candy just opens his eyes to Steve Martin, or at some point he says, two bucks in my left nut, we're not going to land." You know, we're not we're not going to land. So that would have been a dream of mine. The, that scene where the you're going the wrong way is my favorite scene in any yeah. movie ever. That is so well done. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's interesting. Uh, one of the great plays in American literature is Death of a Salesman. It's basically the same story, only nowhere near as good as Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is, as my wife, the greatest human being on the planet, says, 
was heart rendering. It, it was it was it was not just funny. It was heart rendering. So I have to ask you a question. Since you knew John Hughes and you loved some of his movies, did you ever ask him these questions? Like, were you ever like John? How the hell did you come up with planes, trains, and automobiles? Like, how? No, did you- I, ne- I never did. I just I, I just said you're you're wonderful. You're a genius. And I said, what can we do? to get more people to think like we do, because he was a very, very avid conservative. I mean, he really meant it. He would send me incredibly long emails, incredibly long. Like each one was a volume about what was going wrong with America and how we needed to have a much, much, much more conservative reactionary government. And uh, he, uh, he, he took it very, very seriously. And somebody wrote they want to be a fly in um, Nancy Pelosi's. Well, why? She might not, she might get undressed in that room. God bless you if that's the room you want to be a fly in. They might have been joking. But um, I, I think we had a little levity tonight. I, I, I think uh, Thursday nights, as you're getting ready for the weekend, you should have a little, we're allowed, we're supposed to have fun. We're allowed to have fun. We've gotten to the mind that we've, Rob's gotten to ask his childhood hero a ton of questions. Rob, let me ask you this. Did you ever think you'd be doing this? This is one of the best things I get to do each week. Like, I love it when you ask me to do this because, look, Ben is such an iconic character. And it's like my whole life, I can plot Ben Stein being a part of it. When I was super young, it's planes, trains, and automobiles and Ferris Bueller. When I was in my teens, it was when Ben Ben Stein's money. As I got older, it was seeing Ben on Fox Business. Like, my whole life, I can associate Ben Stein with part of it. Well, God bless you, sir. I hope it'll go on for a while longer. God bless you, sir. My blood pressure is still excellent sir. And, and and one of my favorite and one of my favorite things would be i would be watching fox business ben would be on there sometimes it would be with wayne rogers and my grandmother would walk in and go listen to that wayne rogers rob he's a millionaire <laughs> god rest god rest his soul he, he got taken to but i just want to ben what's your favorite scene from planes trains hmm. The scene where the, where John Candy is leading them in the theme song from some TV show. From, the, the, Flintstones, Flintstones. from yeah, the Flintstones. Yeah, it's just it's just hilarious. Well, because it was started with Steve Martin. Yeah, singing. it was started with Steve Martin singing a wonderful sentimental American songbook movie, a song, and nobody knew it. Three, or, what was it? Three Coins in a Fountain? Three Coins in a Fountain, yeah. And then he does the Flintstones, and everybody on the bus knows that it. it's really great. Rob, what's your favorite scene along with my favorite scene? Oh, it's absolutely, you're going the wrong way. That would, when he goes, oh, he's drunk, how would he know where we're going? <laughs> my, my, my favorite scene was after they finally bonded and they were, the car burned down and they got drunk at the motel and they backed into the motel <laughs> and they get pulled over and Michael McKean is the officer. And, um, and, and, and Michael McKean says to John Candy, do you know how fast you were going? And he's like, well, the speedometer sort of is burning. <laughs> and he goes, you were going 75. And John Candy's like, you know, I'm paraphrasing. He's like, okay, I could see that. You know, <laughs> and, and, and he says, and he says to him, are there any working um, gauges on this vehicle? And John Candy says, no. But oddly enough, the radio is working perfectly. <laughs> that, that was my uh, favorite scene in the movie. And I encourage everybody, if you're going, if, whatever you're going yeah, through. Be prepared. It's sad. It, it's, it's beautiful. It's life. And, ben, ben, uh, ben, before we let you go, I have to ask you this planes, trains, and automobiles question. Maybe you don't know it. At some point, John Candy randomly ends up with a black eye in planes, trains, and automobiles, and it's never explained. I Do you know how? I, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened, but, but I will tell you, the movie was cut very considerably in the editing, so something probably happened, and the editor just took it out. Do you, know, do you know what book he was reading in the airport when he was talking to... What? The, the Canadian the, Mountain. The Canadian Mountain. He was reading like an erotic <laughs> book at the airport. And it was just, it's just, it's just, it's just that whole movie. It's the perfect movie. It's, it, it's absolutely the perfect movie that deserved, everybody deserved Oscars for it. I mean, that you're in it. It's just, it's just an, as Rob said, and I've often said, you are our gump. You're the genius gump. For the past 50 years, you've been through and been in places and, um, 
it's it's just remarkable and You're i want to thank everyone and i am humbly grateful and humbly. i want to thank everybody that's been listening tonight mm -hmm. and all the participation i hope we hope you offered you an hour of a little seriousness but also a little bit of fun because you, we can't forget to enjoy our lives and no matter how much they tell us we're not supposed to enjoy our lives screw them we're going to do it I bet everybody's going to watch planes, trains, and automobiles this weekend. I know I am. And yes, there's everybody's got a scene. Edie McClure. Oh, my know, God. It, she's it, so wonderful. I mean, oh my, my God. God. So wonderful. That, that, that airplane scene, that air, the car rental scene. Car rental. Just, she's so it, great. It's unbelievable. It's just, there's too many scenes. It's just one of those things. And all put together, you have one of the most brilliant movies. And, I got to say the night he died, Ben was on, uh, on CNN and I'll never forget that interview. And uh, where he said, uh, you know, he was, it was the death of a salesman of our generation or better than death of a salesman. And it was, it was, and, and if you haven't seen Bueller reunited, uh, Bueller reunited or reunited apart, it was during COVID they did this whole, they brought the, the, the Ferris cast back together. Some of them with Matthew Broderick and Ben and, Alan Ruck and uh, Jennifer Gray. And um, it was really cool to watch because they asked what made John use so special to Alan Ruck. And he kept on deferring to Ben. And it was so cool to reverence that Alan Ruck, who played Cameron, had for Ben. He was like looking at him the whole time for the spirituality of John Hughes. And, just ben, just, and ben just summed up John Hughes so well. He was all about love in his movies and uh it's what it's the thread that we need to get back to it's love and on that note i want to thank everybody rob tell people where they can find you every day from nine to noon wibc.com the mock and rob show 93.1 wibc bam. bam and of course you can find ben at spectator.org if you can throw a few shekels their way they could always use a few extra donations uh it's one of the oldest and best uh, papers uh, or online stuff still around. Um, you can also find them at Newsmax and, of course, a parlor at Ben Stein. Ben, sing us out. It should be the Flintstones. King, king. I don't know. I said, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the joy we share. Okay, Flintstones. Meet the, <laughs> Meet Flintstones. the Flintstones. They're the modern Stone Age family. From all right. God bless you. God bless you. My God wife, bless you all. I'm saying. Wilma, have a great night.